0: Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. When last we left, we were talking with Larry recently about his experience in law school. Now, you started law school at Columbia in New York, and you said to me and the audience that you had to pull back because of funds. So you came back home. I can't think of a better law school, we have a lot of good ones, than B.C., but uh, how did you get into B.C. law at that time? Was it your first choice to come home to go to B.C.?
1: Yeah, I think it was a good choice because I I knew that there were – Uh, Sort of collegial, uh, smaller. Um, There weren't uh, very many Jewish guys there, but there were a few. Mm -hmm. And uh, but who cared? Um, And my experience at Boston College Law School was a very good experience. Uh, And a lot of that I attribute to Father Robert F. Drinan. Now, of course, he's another famous person.
0: We all know him as the former congressman.
1: Right, and he was the dean at that time of Boston College Law School, and a great humanist, a great author. Uh, ultimately a great ethicist, uh, Georgetown. He, for some reason, we became very friendly. So that we would even, I would even meet him in his office after classes and sometimes, and we would just talk. So, you know, I really admired him because a lot of these guys who go to law school are thinking about making a bag of money. And Drinan, who was uh, uh, a very, he was a Democrat, of course, very, as a congressman, He was very um, important and uh, a central figure in the impeachment of uh, President Nixon, Uh, and um, so he was always very supportive of me. For example, when I passed the bar, he came into a class to tell me, walked into, Mm. broke into a class to tell me, and um, that I had passed the bar the first time because I was very worried about it because my handwriting stinks. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so that I said to myself, they'll never know what the hell I'm talking oh,
0: about. Oh, my, god, but congratulations. That's that's another bit of news I'm very happy to congratulate you on. So he came into the class. That must have felt great.
1: Yeah, well, it, well because he was, you know, he was quite personal with me. And then, you know, later uh, he stood by my side when I was admitted to the Supreme Court of the United States. By that time he was down, many years later, he was down in Georgetown teaching uh, ethical ethics— like, yeah, professional responsibility, mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. uh, and ethics. And for me, he taught me, I guess, uh, divorce law when I was at law school. but And he met Lois, and uh, this is an old story. He fell in love with Lois. And uh, the day I was admitted to the Supreme Court with him on one side, and on the other side was Dan Coquillette. I don't know whether you've heard of Dan's name. Former dean of the law school, later than Mr.— than Father Dreiner, not a church guy, uh, and also a well-known professor at Harvard, but more important than either one of those, a very famous legal historian. And Coquillette uh, is another guy from Boston College Law School that I may not have mentioned, who's, to this day, is I'm very friendly with. But with e- those guys were on the s- side of me, and there was Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the other people up on the mm. bench, and I was admitted to the Supreme Court. That night— I said, well, Bob, why don't Lois and I take you out to a restaurant in Georgetown? There's a nice French restaurant. So we did. And um, you remember the senator from uh, New Hampshire, Rudman, R-U-D-M? Yes, Warren Rudman. Oh. So we walk into this restaurant, uh, and um, on the way in, some guy with a big red face, um, probably uh, maybe a uh, lobbyist or something like that, hey, Father Drinan. And I said, oh, sorry. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Father Drinan says. This is Larry Rudman. And the, and so the guy said,
0: Senator Rudman. Rudman, Rudman, close enough, right? Good <laughs> right. for you. Hey, there's another professor you wait, mentioned. Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. So oh, we, well, I'm sorry. We walked to the table, and and uh, uh, Father Drinan says, "Would well, you two sit over there so I can see you. I said, no. I said, I think I want you to sit with Lois because I know you like her, and I'll look at the two of you. <laughs> and we had a nice uh, <laughs> a nice French dinner. He, was, he liked to look at the ladies. Hey, what the hell?
0: Hey, listen, he's a human being. He's a human male. So I wanted to ask you about another professor before we get to some other names. This is, again, B.C. Law. I love the name Cornelius Moynihan. What a great name that is. Yeah, it is a great name.
1: Wow. And he was a great professor, but very acerbic. Is that the right word? Is it icy? Uh, yeah. Uh, boy, this is a great Stern. story. Stern. Cool. You like this story. Mm-hmm. Right. So, he taught corporation law, and uh, so one day in a case, uh, the name comes up uh, uh, in one of the cases of um, why am I forgetting the name of this particular point? He was one of the first Jewish senators. He was from Louisiana. He was in the Confederacy and the government of the Confederacy. Um, I'll come back to that. Yeah,
0: come back to that. That's
1: okay. Uh, It'll come to me as we go along. This is a famous guy. Any of you folks out there? I'll have the name. (laughs) I'll have the name before we get through because this is an interesting story. So Moynihan says, "Does anybody know who uh, this person is?" So. He says, all you gentlemen, there are about 20, 25 people in the class, uh, are supposed to uh, know something about American history? So do you—is it just corporations you know, or do you know this person? Raise your hand. Nobody raises their hand. But I'm sitting there saying to myself, well, I know who this person is, and I know his story because I spent time in the library. Instead of studying law— Reading history,
0: I just looked it up. I hope you don't mind. I cheated, but is it Judah Benjamin? Yes. Thank you. Okay. How'd you get that? <laughs> I I Googled uh, Jewish senator during the Confederacy. <laughs> Judah Benjamin made his choice. Well, Judah
1: go. Benjamin is a famous guy in American history, and I'll tell you exactly why as the story goes on. So Moynihan is uh, he says, "You mean to say that all you fellows are here, and not one person?" So I I didn't want to you know become I didn't want to say anything because then the guys would say what a smart ass mm. he is. But, of course, since I was screwing off from my studies and I love history, I knew all about Judah Benjamin from reading it in the law library. So finally I raised my hand. He says, yes, Mr. Rudman, uh, do you know anything about Judah Benjamin? I said, well, yeah, I know a little. So he said, uh, well, why don't you tell us all about Judah Benjamin? So I said in a sort of a sotto uh, in a, a low voice. Sotto voce. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I because I didn't want to be make a th- big thing about myself. I said, yeah, uh, Judah Benjamin was um, from Louisiana and a very successful lawyer down there, and he had a few slaves, I think. As a matter of fact, and he was became a senator from Louisiana, with the first uh, Jewish senator, uh, uh, I think. Uh, who avowed uh, his Judaism. And later, when the Civil War started, he became a very important person in the Confederacy government, and the right-hand man to... Uh, I'm, I'm talking a little bit louder than I was there, very low, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sort of telling it like secretively, uh, became uh, very close to uh, the president of the... Je- Jefferson Davis? Yeah, Jefferson right? Davis. Yeah, right. And the first position he had, I think, was Secretary of War, and then I think he became... Uh, Secretary of State. Oh, maybe it was uh, in reverse order, and finally he became the um, yeah, I guess Secretary of State was the third. So he really was the second man in the Confederacy, and Davis relied upon him. And then what happened is at the end of the war, um, because he was Jewish, immediately after Lincoln was assassinated, they thought The guy that was responsible for it, there was no truth in it, was Judah Benjamin. Mm -hmm. So they went after Judah Benjamin, and Judah took a sort of a a secretive-type trip to Florida, escaping arrest, and took a boat out to the Bahamas, and from the Bahamas he got to England. And in England, he was brilliant again, and he rose to be Queen's Consul, and then he became— uh, a honored member of the bar as a barrister, and ultimately he wrote the most famous treatise on sales in the 19th century, Benjamin on Sales, It really was, you know, s- sales in the retail sense or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm. And he, he became, you know, if you look up Judah Benjamin, you'll find about I it.
0: won't forget the name now. I'll tell no, you no, that after hearing all. you tell me about it.
1: So that um, I told this, I told the whole story— quietly, but I had all the facts in my head, and Moynihan said, I'm um, finally somebody who who knows a little bit about American history. Thank you, Mr. Rudman. That's great. So the, the thing I did was, that happened shortly afterwards, you know, in the front of the law school that used to be down at Lake Street, we would throw a baseball around, and guys would try and catch a ball with their bare hands, no mm. matter how hard it was thrown, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I did that two or three times to wear off the lack of distinction I won telling that story, <laughs> that I was still a regular guy? Just a regular guy
0: who can hurt his hands catching a ball at super speed. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful—and thank you for sharing that, that bit of history that might be lost on many people. Uh, again, I knew there was a senator of that ilk. I didn't know the name, and now I am um, inclined to want to know more. Now, I, I have to ask you about the other three names that you just mentioned, and all we do in these podcasts— episodes is Larry says here's somebody I'll talk about him or her (laughs) so the first name sounds like a it actually sounds like the name of a TV correspondent Monroe Inker reporting live who was Monroe Inker what a great name that is too yeah
1: Monroe Monroe came from Brooklyn um, from uh, with the accent and all to Boston and he became one of the most noted lawyers in Boston history Died about 10 years ago. Monroe was mainly a uh, divorce lawyer. and uh, But he was a brilliant guy. He changed the law of divorce in Massachusetts by writing several statues, uh, statutes that uh, became uh, law. He taught uh, for many years at Boston College Law School, and I had him in a course for divorce. He was a character, uh, and uh, his appearance... Like Monroe Winker is a, is a name that you remember. You could not forget Monroe Winker because he sort of reminded you of Columbo, that kind of a guy, mm. shuffling around in a dirty <laughs> raincoat. I don't know that his raincoat was dirty. He lived in Newton for uh, years, uh, and um, he was he never would return telephone calls. He was very smart. He would outwit a lot of lawyers. And when we had a divorce case together... Many years later, I representing the wife and he representing the husband the f- to show you how shrewd he was. And he used to do this every time we met. Um, and of course, you won't believe it to look at me now. But he he he, he saw me come into court and he said, Hi, handsome. <laughs> so right away, uh, I was behind the eight ball. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, and his, his in that particular case, we won't name the judge, but the judge was very close with Monroe. So I said, oh, I'm going to have a t- tough time with this one. But Monroe Inker was um, was a character, and he was well-known, uh, maybe not outside the legal profession so much, although he got plenty of ink, if you will, for Inker. Yeah. But um, Interesting. But yeah, he was uh, – um, any lawyer you talk to who practiced in the last 25 years, if you say Monroe Inker – don't know exactly who you're talking about.
0: Now here's a name that sounds so familiar to me, Marty Aronson. I swear I know that name, at least a Marty Aronson. Maybe it's not the same one. Well was... Aronson
1: is a fairly familiar name, but Marty Aronson uh, he is a uh, he was in my class at B C Law School. Mm-hmm. And Marty was uh, is really a very delightful, even tempered, friendly guy. Uh, and he, he became later an adjunct professor at BC in the tort field. That was his major field. He practiced uh, Inker, Aronson, and O'Terry. Oh. Now, this is quite a combination. Inker, I've told you about. Yeah. Aronson was, I think, mostly in the field of you know uh, accidents and uh, mm. toxic torts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And O'Terry, who died just a few months ago at 90, was a very well known criminal lawyer. Not only in Massachusetts, but elsewhere. Right. And um,
0: what a powerhouse team! Oh yeah, they were must have
1: been. And you know, o- O'Terry was in a divorce case earlier on. Was shot in front of the uh, by an irate husband uh, because he, you know, he represented the wife. And Jeez. he and I was downtown that day, and all of a sudden we look outside and there he is lying there in a pool of blood. He obviously
0: survived. Survived. Okay, <laughs> He did survive.
1: So that, uh, but Marty himself um, was, um, as I say, a real nice guy. And we used to—his uh, his first wife died, and he married another lady. I used to meet him up at the reservoir, walking around the reservoir up on Route 9. And, and they moved to New York about a year or two ago. Uh, the reason I mention Marty Aronson is because, uh, well, among other things, the first case I tried was against Marty Aronson. And I was wet behind the ears. And I should have won the case, but I lost the case. And uh, that always became a subject of conversation between Marty and me. I would say, well, you know, Marty, after that, I never lost a case. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he was uh, he was—he was, he was a nice man.
0: Walter Weckstein is our last name here on the list. Walter Weckstein or Stein.
1: Well, Walter Weckstein was an extremely successful uh, lawyer, but he came from Haverhill. And he, they had nothing in Haverhill. Came down to the to Boston. He went to Boston College Law School. He was a colorful guy, um, very uh, intelligent and uh, outgoing, and uh, women liked him. And uh, he was a really great student. And he became, he represented uh, ultimately uh, the guys that owned the Statler. What were they?
0: Oh, the Park Plaza and the Statler Hotel. Yeah, yeah. He he made a fortune. Saunders.
1: Saunders, yeah. Yeah, Saunders. He represented that family. But he represented a lot of well-known people. One story that his wife told me after he passed away, when I was writing the uh, memoir, was Donald Trump, back in the '90s probably, ordered him down. Uh, asked him to come down to New York for something that had to do with a legal affair. So Walter went down to New York, walks into Trump's office, and of course this is his wife telling the story. Uh, the the whole place was lined with that book he wrote. Uh,
0: Oh, out of the deal! Out of the deal!
1: <laughs> I mean, everything was out of the deal. And the first thing that Trump said to him, to Walter, was a principled guy. And the Trump said to him, "Well, why don't we start off about my book? I mean, it's a great book, and uh, I'd like you to buy a hundred copies or something like that—something <laughs> Some, that only Trump could come up yeah, with." Yeah, of course. And uh, Walter was really offended, and he said, "You know, this conversation is over," and he walked out of Trump's office. Mm. And came back to Boston, uh, and um, unfortunately, Walter developed uh, Alzheimer's disease uh-huh. and had to leave his law firm and died in his late seventies. But in law school, one weekend we decided to go out to Tanglewood. Why? Well, a lot of you know a lot of pretty women went out to Tanglewood.
0: That's a reason for you doing a lot of things back <laughs> in those days, and even today, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> I don't
0: know no, Lois, him. we're not. We're not referring to anybody in specific. You just, <laughs> he's alive and well. Go ahead.
1: So anyway, what happened is that uh, we um, we were out there, and that particular weekend, I wasn't a classical music freak at that time, and I am a freak now because I've read, wrote a book about mm-hmm. it. But the the, the conductor uh, uh, Walter. What's his first name? Uh, Bruno Walter. Oh yes. Now Bruno Walter was really—he uh, was born about 1876. At this time, he was like in his early 80s. He died a little later in his 80s. He was the conductor that week. Now this guy Bruno Walter was super handsome when he was young, and still awfully good-looking in his 80s. And he was—he was Mahler's disciple, Gustav Mahler's mm-hmm. disciple. And Mahler died in 1911, and Walter went on for another 50 years, and he left Germany uh, because he was Jewish and the Nazis would have gotten him, so he came to the United States and became a you know very popular conductor here. Well, I didn't know all that at that particular time, but he was there that weekend. Anyway, uh, the other guy with us was a guy named Milton Neusner, who was very funny. Uh, he's still alive. We didn't have a place to sleep. I don't even know if we had tickets to the symphony, and you know, so we decided that the place to sleep would be on the village green, so on the ground practically, and the cops came along and said, "What do you, you know? You, this is the village green. You can't stay." So we pled. I said, "We don't have a place to sleep, and uh, oh, yeah. you know, it's this, that, and the other thing, and the bugs out there were terrible, hmm. and the so this is in uh, in the town where Tankwood is, Lennox, Lennox, yep. and the, the Lennox Green. Mm-hmm. And they let us stay there.
0: And they let us sleep there. Once again, your power of persuasion, man, is Well, I don't know whether it
1: was me or Walter, but I can tell you one thing, that that destroyed any wish I had to be a camper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hot and cold running water is necessary for Mr. Larry Rutman, and no bugs, please. Well, I, I just one more question about the BC experience. Do you consider yourself uh, an Eagles fan? Were you part of the Go Eagles, the BC crew?
1: I you know, I, I really hadn't. Very nothing really to yeah, do yeah. with the main campus. It was all the law school. But I will say this, that I appreciate my the education that was afforded to me at Boston College Law School. They are a major recipient of, I don't know what you call it, largesse or uh, from my estate. Mm. I have intimate relationships with people over there now, including Dan Coquillette and uh, Ray Madoff. Whose name is quite opposite to uh, not not Bernie, n- not related. No to Bernie. relation. <laughs> and Ray is a brilliant woman who's a great teacher in the field of gifts, whose ideas are well known all over the United States. And um, so that uh, and the the guy that's going out to Holy Cross, the dean of Boston College Law School is Vincent Rougau, R-O-U-G-E-A-U. Now Vincent. has been the dean of Boston College Law School for the last seven or eight or ten years, and he's going to go on to be the uh, president of Holy Cross come September. We're talking now in uh, late June of uh, 2021. I want you to know that uh, Vincent Rougo, who's a black guy from Louisiana, and his wife is a black lady who is very highly educated and holds a fine position as well. Vincent is a soft-spoken, wonderful guy, and the reason he was chosen, obviously, because of his great skills. He was very helpful to me in all ways. This man is just so fine and that everybody loves him out there and he's an inspiration to all of us. I think he's the first non-priest uh, to become the head of Holy Cross mm. University. Mm-hmm. Not not just one school, the whole university. And he was very uh, um, integral in my forming of my estate plan, which this gift to BC includes not only BC, but the Southern Poverty Law Center, because they do so much good work as to terrorism in the United States. And thank God the government has now turned from foreign terrorism to domestic terrorism. And the SBLC is very much involved in that. So that, um, and I'm talking about, um, again, uh, folks out there, I want you to know that uh, sometimes I sound articulate, but other times. I do show signs of something they say happens to even us normal 90-year-old people, <laughs> and that is we forget the name of a place or a person. Now, I don't want you to think that if you've been listening to me, you probably think that I'm okay in the head, but I do forget names here and there. By the way, what is your name? You said you'd name, but I forget.
0: <laughs> uh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. This has been A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Rutman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website larryrutman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Rutman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.